The reading is Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 to the end. But to Jonah this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn, the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I was dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, that you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for just what it means to us and how it changes us, how it confronts us, how it cuts us to heal us. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that your word would be as a balm to our hearts, a medicine to our souls, that you would save, that you would heal, and that you would deliver by the power of your word. And we ask these things. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So as uh, Simon said, first of all, welcome. Um, Let me add my welcome to his. Uh, So glad to see so many of you here today. Um, And as Simon was saying earlier, we are uh, coming to the end of our series in Jonah. And today we are going to be looking at Jonah chapter 4. And we're going to be talking about Jonah's response to God's grace. So in his book, What's So Amazing by, About Grace, Philip Yancey, he tells the story of a friend who works with a down and out in Chicago. And this friend, he encounters a prostitute one day. And uh, he's, she's come to him because she's unable to feed her two-year-old daughter. And she's crying because in the past, she's had to, catch this, 
rents out her two-year-old daughter for sex to men in order to support her own drug habit. And he recalls how difficult it was for him to hear this because he had no idea what to say to her. So he asked if she'd ever thought about going to church for help. And what followed was a response. His friend said that he would never forget the young lady. She looked at him and said, church. Now, why would I ever want to go to church? They would just only make me feel worse than I already feel. Now, this woman's diagnosis of the church is both sad and tragic. And I say it's sad and tragic tragic because the church is known for many things. But grace is often not one of them. It's sad because Jesus, who started his church, he is the embodiment of grace. It was the calling card of his ministry. In fact, John says in in, in chapter 1 of his gospel that when he saw Jesus, what he saw was a man full of grace and truth. Here was a man who John in chapter 8 confronts a prostitute, someone that the whole community thought should be stoned to death. And here Jesus looks at the prostitute and he forgives her of her sins and he says, if no one condemns you, then neither do I. Go leave your life of sin. Grace. What about Jesus' confrontation with the most hated man in Israel at the time? Tax collector Zacchaeus. In Luke chapter 19, here was a tax collector who took bribes and he cheated people out of their money. Someone who levied his position of authority to make himself rich. Jesus goes to his house. Shocks the religious community. And Jesus tells Zacchaeus as he's leaving his home. This day salvation has come to your home. Grace. What about when you look at your own life? Your own messes that God has delivered you from. Don't you realize that God saved you not because of your education, not because of your family pedigree, not because you had good parents, or because you've made wise decisions all your life. But God reached down and drew you out of your mess and saved you when you couldn't save yourself. He gave you a second chance again and again and again. Why? Grace. You see, our problem, to quote a good friend of mine, is that we get saved for any amount of time. And what we end up doing is developing a short-term memory loss. And we forget that the very thing that got us into the kingdom is the very thing that keeps us. In the kingdom. Grace. 
Jonah chapter 4 is a wake-up call for us. It is a reminder that as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, one of our callings is to be people of grace. For it is by grace you have been saved. Not of yourself. Not of your works. It is a gift from God. You see, if there is one word that describes Jonah chapter 4, it is grace. You see, if you were here last week, we saw how chapter 3 ended with God pouring out his grace upon the people of Nineveh. Jonah was sent to Nineveh with the message from the Lord in 40 days. This city will be overthrown. The people hear the word of God and they repent. They turn from their evil ways. They sit in sackcloth and ashes. They fast and they pray. And this leads to one of the greatest revivals in human history. 120,000 people. Get this. I love this. Including the cattle. (laughs) Get saved. For all you dog lovers out there. Who thinks there's a place for my dog in heaven. This might be a proof text for you right here. You might have animals in heaven who responded to the gospel. But notice how grace came to Nineveh, right? It came through a prophet who has just experienced radical grace in his life. Jonah runs from God, finds himself in the storm. He tries to commit suicide, finds himself sinking to the bottom of the sea. God then sends a fish to rescue him. And it's in the belly of a fish for three days, for three nights where he comes to his senses. He remembers the Lord. He remembers God's grace to him. He says, when my life was going down, it was was you, Lord, who lifted me up. In chapter 2, Jonah is full of praise and thanksgiving for the grace of God. You see, Jonah had to be broken in order to be a blessing. And when God broke him and restored him, he used him as an instrument of his grace to reach out to people in need of grace. And it led to a revival. Chapter 3 would have been a great ending for the book of Jonah. Everyone lives happily ever after. The enemies of God repent. They turn from their wicked ways. That's it. That's not how the chapter ends. There is no happily ever after. I mean, however, the Bible is not primarily about giving us neat and pleasant endings to every story. Ultimately, the Bible does point to a glorious and splendid ending. But in the middle, life is contaminated with sin and therefore it's messy. Life is messy, y'all. And we see Jonah in this chapter at his messiest. I mean, you would think that Jonah would be both happy and humbled after having been used by God to lead a revival, but he's not. Instead, we read in verse one. But to Jonah. This ain't wrong. And he became angry. 
And Jonah prayed. Let me stop right there. Jonah is angry. And this word angry in the Hebrew means hot. He's hot. Jonah is burning with rage towards God. And one can't help but notice the contrast here between God's response to sinful people repenting in chapter 3 verse 10 and then Jonah's. When God saw the Ninevites turn, he relented of his anger. Whereas when Jonah saw what God did, he got hot. He got angry. Have you ever been angry with God? Has God ever done anything in your life that made you say, Lord, this is just not right. This is wrong. You see, Jonah is a Christian who is frustrated and he is upset with his God. And if you've ever been there, then you must know what Jonah feels like right now. Now, what's interesting is that God would be entirely justified in giving Jonah the death he desired. He said, I want to die. Okay, I'll give you death. The Lord could have responded to Jonah with all the wrath and anger that Jonah longed to see poured out on the Ninevites. But God refrained. And why? Because get this. Anger in and of itself is not a sin. I mean, if you read through the Psalms, you find a lot of angry prayers, right? We call them Psalms of complaints. And what we learn from these Psalms is that God wants us to be honest with Him. He wants us to pour out our hearts before Him, even if we are angry. Look, Jesus got angry. He burned with righteous indignation towards those who used his father's house as a place of commerce. One of the characteristics of God is wrath. God gets angry. So if anger was a sin, then God would not be holy. If anger was a sin, then Jesus would not be an acceptable sacrifice. See, the reason God doesn't castigate Jonah for talking to him out of anger. Instead, what does God do? He simply asks Jonah, is his anger justified? Verse 4, do you do well to be angry, Jonah? Translation, look in your heart, Jonah. And then tell me if you have a right to be angry. So then why is Jonah angry? <laughs> well, look at verses 2 to 4. He prayed to the Lord, like, Lord, isn't this what I told you would happen when I was still at home? That is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish, because I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Jonah says, God, here's why I'm angry. It's because of your grace. Jonah is mad at grace. And what we see is that this text teaches us three unsettling truths about grace. 
One, grace is scandalous. Two, grace is God's to give. And then finally, grace is revealing. You see, when we often speak of God's grace, we often speak in terms of its amazement and wonder. And truly, that is what grace is. It is wonderful. But grace could also be categorized as scandalous. See, the definition of scandalous is causing general public outrage by a perceived offense against morality or law. Now, by that definition alone, we can conclude that Jesus was scandalous. When we think of something being scandalous, we tend to assume it as negative. That's why I want to bring your attention to this specific word in this definition. Perceived. You see, when we perceive something, we look at it from our own interpretation. So from the perspective of the religious leaders, everything Jesus did was scandalous. He healed on the Sabbath. He ate with tax collectors and sinners. He let a prostitute wash his feet with her tears and dry them with her hair. Remember their response? If this person was truly who he says he is, he wouldn't know who this person is. He would not be letting her wash his feet. You see, this is why Jonah is angry. Jonah is angry that God would extend his love and compassion and forgiveness to people he felt didn't deserve it. This was scandalous. It was all right for the Lord to save Jonah when he was being judged for his disobedience. But it was not okay for God to extend the same grace and mercy to his enemies. I mean, have you noticed the selfishness in Jonah's prayer? I mean, look at the number of times he uses I and me. In verses 2 to 3, isn't this what I said when I was still at home? That's why I fled to Tarshish. He's presenting his case before God as a matter of my word against yours. And my word is better. I was proved right. Lord, you were proved wrong. I love what Sinclair B. Ferguson says here. He says, Jonah's prayer shows the mark of what we might call spiritual infantile regression. In the natural, this is when people who have experienced some crisis in life or are carrying the weight of a lot of responsibility then tend to resort to childish and inappropriate forms of behavior, especially when they're under a lot of stress. They begin to say things and do things that are almost childlike. And and for for a mature adult, it doesn't make any sense. And it may even appear to be irrational. Well, this is Jonah's prayer right here. It's childish. It's temperamental. It's me buying a bag of crisps for my daughter simply because I love her. And I tell her, now share it with your sister. And all hell breaks loose. (laughs) What? What do you mean, what? I brought you these bag of Chris, not because you deserved it. And I tell you to share 
And all of a sudden, your sisters don't deserve it. Now you're stomping. Going in your room, throwing stuff, you know? As if she deserved those bag of crisps. You see, the reason God's grace is so scandalous to Jonah is because he is looking at things from his own selfish perspective and not God's. And look, that's many of us, right? I mean, as I was reading this text, I mean, I was examining my own heart, saying that that's me. See, we want grace when it comes to us, but, you know, not for those people. We want God to be gracious to us, to bless us, to bless our marriages and our relationships, to bless everything we put our hands to do, to give us a second chance, but not those people who have hurt us. Not those people who have oppressed us. People who threw us under the bus and they talked about us on social media. Not those people who are constantly messing up and making mistakes in Parliament. Grace is scandalous because it rubs up against our perception of who we think deserves it or not. And that brings me to my second point. God is free to give his grace to whomever he pleases. You see, no matter how many times God went after Jonah and gave him a second chance, the reality of grace it remained lost on him. I mean, God would take him through the school of hard knocks, and he seemed to be learning. Chapter 2 is Jonah getting his theology right, but chapter 4 is him failing to apply it. So God has to say to Jonah in so many words, Jonah, after all you've been through and after all I've done for you, verse 4, is it right for you to be angry? You see, God obviously knows the answer to that question. But God simply wants Jonah to see what's in his own heart. What's that you're harboring, Jonah? What is it that you have in your heart that's keeping you from getting the message that I'm trying to communicate to you? I see it. Jonah, I want you to see it. Now, many scholars believe that Jonah is wrestling with prejudices and racism. He's most likely hated the Ninevites because they oppressed his people. So God asks Jonah a question. And he walks away from the conversation in verse 5. He's like, I'm not hearing this right now, God. And we read that he goes out and he sits down at a place east of the city where he made himself a shelter and he sat in the shade and waited to see what would happen. Now imagine this. What was he waiting for? He's waiting to see if God would change his mind and give the people of Nineveh what they actually deserve. This brother is sitting there like, 
waiting for the fireworks to start. Like, yeah, you did it for Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm not hearing what you're trying to say, God. These people, these people, they deserve your judgment. You know why I stand on this. So here we have Jonah, who's hot, both literally, physically. And he's out there, he builds a shelter to protect himself from the sun, but it's not sufficient. So watch this. God sees his servant, and he has compassion on him. Again, verse 6, it reads, He appoints a plant to grow from the ground to cover his head. God didn't have to do this. But the purpose of the plant was for sparing Jonah the the discomfort of the sun. God gave to Jonah again a small gift of grace. And we read that it made Jonah very happy. This is the first time in this entire narrative that we see Jonah very happy. This brother's been depressed downtrodden this whole but now in this point he's very happy but then look at what God does in verse 7 early the next morning God sent a worm to destroy the plant and then God appointed a scorching east wind that swept the sun like a furnace onto Jonah's body verse 8 and once again brother Jonah becomes angry with God and he wants to die can't seem to get over his anger issues I mean he was angry with God about his calling he was angry with God about his experience in the Mediterranean he was angry with how God used him in Nineveh and now he's angry with God about this plant If I was Jonah's pastor, I would take him aside and say, look, brother, I believe God is trying to tell you something through these events. But the reason he keeps finding himself in the same situation over and over again is because he can't bring himself to, the re- to accept the reality that grace is God's to give. He's not entitled to it. And therefore God can give to him. Give it to whomever he pleases. Whenever he pleases. Because he is the sovereign Lord. And he sets the terms. Not us. Not us. And that brings me to my final point. Grace is revealing. You see, Jonah refuses to answer the question. Is it right for you to be angry? God has had to ask this question to him twice now. Now the Lord calls into question Jonah's pity for the plant that God appointed. Just like he appointed the fish in chapter 1 verse 17. He appointed the plant. He appointed the worm. He appointed the wind. These were all providences of God's grace that Jonah did not work for or earn. So look at what God does. 
He reminds Jonah in verses 10 to 11. The prophet did not labor for the plant or make it grow. The plant simply appeared without warning one night and then God destroyed it the following night. The plant was for all practical purposes, nothing about which to be concerned. It was no great miracle of God to grow the plant nor to destroy it. However, Jonah showed great concern and pity for the plant. In fact, Jonah's pity for the plant can actually be translated as compassion. This brother had compassion on a plant. This small and insignificant work of God, he had more compassion for this than he had for the people of Nineveh. But notice the compassion of God in verse 11 towards the Ninevites. He says, and should I not have concern for this great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left? By speaking this way, God is implying that the Ninevites were ignorant of spiritual matters. Though ignorance is never a warrant for the compassion of God and for God in of itself, The Lord is using it in and of itself. What God is doing, he's using this argument as a way of reasoning with Jonah. God is simply humanizing the Ninevites and trying to get Jonah to see their need for grace. Yes, Nineveh was an evil city, but its inhabitants were still made in the image of God. Regardless of their depravity, God is saying to Jonah, people are still more valuable than plants. And the fact that Jonah could have more compassion on the plant, more than people, reveals the hypocrisy that was in his own heart. How does grace reveal what's in your heart? I mean, if you ever want to know the answer to that question, simply think about how you would respond when God shows grace to people who have wronged you. Have those people in your mind. How would you feel? Now imagine God saying to you, pray for that person who hurt you. Pray for that person who threw you under the bus. Pray for that person who cheated you and robbed you out of an opportunity on your job. Or who abused you. Now imagine God saving them and blessing them. And they're flourishing. They're prospering. How does that make you feel? Look, if I understand this passage correctly, the reason so many of us are mad at grace is because we don't understand that God doesn't love you more than he loves the person who hurt you. He doesn't. 
Grace is for both the offender and the offended. Grace is both for the abused and the abuser. And let me say this, but grace is not the absence of justice. I'm not saying that pedophiles and abusers shouldn't go to jail. Grace is saying that while I prosecute and while I seek justice, I will forgive and hope and pray that my abusers can find peace with God. Can you pray that prayer for people who have hurt you? Grace is revealing. How do you respond to the reality that God's grace is for everyone? And not just for you. Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? We never get an answer from Jonah. Maybe that's intentional. But I like what Sinclair B. Ferguson says about the ending of this book. He says, it carries no conclusion because it summons us to write the final paragraph. It remains unfinished in order that we may provide our own conclusions to its message. For you are Jonah, and I am Jonah. How you will, how will you respond to God's grace? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace which is both wonderful and yet, God, it's scandalous. It rubs up against our perceived ideas as to who deserves it or not. But God, help us to remember that you have forgiven us of much. So help us to love much. God, you have taken us through hard times so that we may learn compassion and grace for others. Help us to learn these lessons, even when it's hard. And help us, O Lord God, to continue to search our own hearts, to see what's there, so that we may grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.